Welcome to the Savage Leader Podcast, where I interview leaders from all walks of life so that you can walk away with tips to apply to your life and your career. But this isn't your traditional leadership podcast, because I believe that leadership tips come from successful entrepreneurs and business executives, of course, but they also come from unexpected places, like from Navy SEALs, successful professional athletes, sports coaches, musicians, entertainers, and more. So let's dive right in to today's episode. My hope is you walk away with something tangible that you can apply immediately to your life and your career. Today's guest on the Savage Leader podcast is Jacob Marash, founder and CEO of STEM Audio. STEM Audio designs and manufactures high-quality audio endpoints for conference rooms and other collaboration spaces. Jacob, thanks for coming on today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Darren. So take me back a bit. I know it's only been a few years since you launched STEM Audio, but can you talk to me about the genesis of the company? Absolutely. Yeah. So I'll start off by saying, you know, what we do is one of those niche markets that a lot of times when I explain to people on the street what it is that we do, they have no idea. But we basically deal with audio endpoints for video conferencing. Now, ever since uh, the pandemic, all of us have more or less experienced Zoom, right? But this world has been around for a very, very long time. It's actually been a pretty big industry for a while now. Think about every conference room that you walk into with any company has to have some kind of audio hardware in that room to pick up the audio. And the quality of that audio is very, very critical. Now, I entered this industry about a decade and a half ago with my family's business, Phoenix Audio. And it's way before anybody out there understood or knew what video conferencing was unless you worked in that space. Um, and we, for many years, manufactured these speaker phones, which is what we call them. And again, we're an engineering company. So every year we would focus on what engineering companies do, and that's algorithms and echo canceling and noise canceling. And these are very known words in our industry. But the bottom line is that that stuff ended up being less important from the end user than what our companies in our space and our competitors, as well as ourselves at Phoenix Audio thought. So after I went to uh, business school at Anderson, I came back and I took over as CEO of that original company, Phoenix Audio. And my first kind of task was to sit down and to try to figure out what are the next products that I want to come out with. And remember, we would historically come out with one or two new speakerphones every year. And the only difference in those speakerphones was that we improved these algorithms a little bit more. And pretty much us, as well as all of our competitors, kind of got to the point where it was good enough. So I was trying to figure out what is the next thing? What is audio going to sound like you know, in the future, uh, the next decade, 20 years from now? And I set on this long journey, which maybe we'll go into detail later, but not now, to kind of try to sit down with our end users and people that install and buy and sell and use these products and really try to understand from them what are the pain points? What are the things that they're missing? And very surprisingly, we found that it wasn't necessarily the audio quality that was, that was the issue, but it was rather the experience. And with that, we kind of created this, what I like to call a revolutionary solution, which is STEM audio. And as soon as we thought out or we thought about the product, it became very evident that it's going to have to be its own thing, its own company, its own experience. And that's the point where I actually launched this separate company. So the goal was not to go out and launch a company. I already was a CEO of a, a company that was in the space, 
But we came up through asking our users with this, what we consider a revolutionary solution, that there was no other option other than to spin it off to something completely different. And uh, here we are today. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think something that a lot of leaders can relate to, especially if they're trying to jumpstart their innovation, they're trying to have more of that startup culture. And it's interesting that you started essentially a startup within a long-standing business. Like, what was that like? And how did you create that new culture that's that's more innovative, more agile, faster moving within an existing entity? You know, that question is a very powerful one. And you actually alluded to something that maybe wasn't even part of the question, but I just have to address. The first aspect is for, think about this, for a decade, I was part of Phoenix. And as in any tech company, you know, you in some way, shape or form every day go to work and you want to create this product, but you do dream of that exit of having, you know, some kind of some kind of event and you try to get it and it just doesn't happen. And the epiphany that happened with STEM was that a lot of times we go about these things the wrong way. A lot of times we try to have a startup. So we think about a product that we want to create. Whereas what I learned through STEM is that the process should be the exact opposite. You have to find a problem and solve it. And if you stay true to that, then that brings a lot of success and a lot of opportunities And that was the big aha moment for STEM. But when we did launch STEM, it just happened to be more or less at the same time that I took over as CEO of Phoenix. And it was very evident to me as I came in that I needed to change a lot of things about the company, not just about the products. You have to understand that my biggest problem was that I was still part of Phoenix, which is a very small company for a decade before that. I was the chief operating officer. And then one day I became the chief executive officer. And that's a really weird thing to to deal with, right? Because, I mean, how do you walk into the office one day, do your day's work, and then you come in the next day and tell everybody, hey, by the way, I'm the CEO right now. It was very clear that I needed to change things and turn it into my company. So we did something called the company relaunch, where we basically shut the company down for a full week. We told all of our customers that we're going to be unavailable. And we sat down with all of the employees, and we literally redefined and redid every single aspect of the company including the product itself. So we started with the culture. We redefined our employee handbook. We rewrote and recreated our mission statement, which tends to be terrible in most companies. We created what we call our five company pillars or our core values. And we did this all together. You know, the employee handbook we had was one that we got from one of the largest uh, HR companies that was servicing us back in the day. And it's something, it's kind of like a template they handed us. And it had like all the basic stuff, like, You know, if you're five minutes late, you get written up, you can't wear open-toed shoes, you can't do this, you can't do that. And we kind of looked at it and we said, you know, do we even do we even follow these rules? And we didn't. So we we said, like, why do we have all these rules written when we don't really care about them? We really sat down and we tried to make the main thing the main thing. And what ended up happening at the end of this week was we all created this thing that we all believe in and we all want to be part of. And that really, really, really changed the course of the company. And it also happened to coincide with this brand new product that we we dreamed up. And I think a big part of STEM success is not just the fact that the solution itself is very revolutionary. And I could talk about that for hours, but we won't do that in this podcast. But also the change that we had and the shift that we had in the company and with the employees and our mindset and how we hired people and how we fired people and what we really cared about and what we didn't care about on the day-to-day. That's really interesting. You shut down the company for a week and 
you know, I found so much success with leaders when they're co-creating whatever it is, a strategy where you get that buy-in as part of the process. Can you take me a little bit behind the scenes in terms of what were those conversations like? How did you get employees who perhaps had worked for Phoenix for the last 10, 15, 20 years to be bought into something that was very different? It wasn't an easy task. So we, we took that week, that relaunch week, very seriously. My partner and myself went on a, what we called an executive retreat, and we literally went for two days. We locked ourselves in a hotel in Palm Springs, and we wrote the curriculum for that week. And every day had a theme. And there were a couple of things that we wanted to achieve. So one of the first things that we wanted to achieve was first to get everybody to really understand what all the other parts of the company do. So for instance, one of the activities during that week was everybody went to the warehouse and the warehouse manager had everybody do packaging. So our salespeople had to actually do packaging of products. That got them to understand sometimes when they get orders and it takes a while for those orders to go out and they just get upset and angry, they actually saw what it entails to get a product, to test it, to package it. And there's a lot more understanding and empathy for the folks in the warehouse. We went to the sales guys and we asked them to give a session about what's the journey with a customer from talking to them and doing a demo and getting them to actually buy and how difficult that is. And the folks at the warehouse who typically just are, you know, feel like the salespeople have an easy job understood how difficult that was. So we did stuff like that. Like I said, we rewrote our employee handbook. Our core values maybe is a very interesting one. So we actually asked everybody to pitch in and to say what they think are the important values. And everybody had, I think, to contribute one or three of them. And then we put it all on like sticky notes on the wall and we consolidated them. And then we voted on what everybody wanted to do. So we did a lot of stuff like that. And I think that ultimately the outcome was that I never had to uphold any of these new rules or understandings. Since we all pitched in and we all decided on this, everybody now kind of acts as a manager when it comes to the culture of the company and the direction that we're going in. I never have to necessarily convince people and force buy-in because they decided on these core values. And just as important as defining it was to upkeep it and maintain it. So every year on the anniversary of the relaunch, we do kind of a relaunch revisit. We don't do it for a full week, but we do shut down for a day. And we kind of reflect back on the mission and on our core values. We give examples of how we use it on a day-to-day. We make corrections when needed. If people say, hey, we all agree that this is not relevant anymore, we change it. We also, twice a year, do kind of an assessment where every single employee in the company anonymously rates every other employee in the company and how they do on their five core values. And then at the end of that, you actually get feedback from all your team members on how you're doing on your core values. And again, there's no, it's not like if you score low, there's any repercussions, but it just gives you a sense of like what you're doing well at and what you need to improve on. And it's by all of us. It's not by management. So you don't have to necessarily impress your managers, but you also have to realize that you get kind of rated based on how you are with all of your team members on the day-to-day. So it's a lot of little things like that. I'd love to switch gears a little bit because it's, I think it's interesting is you mentioned just walking in one day and taking off the COO hat and putting on the CEO hat. What was that journey like? How did you go about learning some of those skills, those behaviors, so that you could be a successful, clearly you've already proven to be a successful CEO with the acquisition to, to Sure recently? You don't. You fake it till you make it. I'm 100% convinced of that. I kind of learned this from uh, my military experience. So I became an officer 
before I was 20. And I think by the time I was 20, I was uh, second in command of 100 people. And the military has this quality of kind of convincing you that you can do it. And in retrospect, in my civilian life, when I'm now I'm a little bit older and I look back at myself when I was 20 and I was doing that, <laughs> I kind of laugh and I realize how underqualified I was to do so. But I didn't realize it back then. And that's why I did a good job. All of us, and I hear this from other people you've interviewed, you know, sometimes the topic of uh, imposter syndrome comes up. At the end of the day, we all have our insecurities and nobody's necessarily born a leader. You just have to jump into the deep end and do the best that you can and listen. And uh, it just kind of grows on you when there's no other option, there's no other choice. You're given the wheel, you start driving. And I actually find that that happens with a lot of people in my organization that I don't necessarily think have leadership responsibilities. And maybe I'll connect to one more thing I learned in the military. You know, we had this thing when we would typically have, when you had a difficult soldier who was consistently difficult, I'm not saying somebody would mess up one time, you obviously get reprimanded in the military. But if you had someone who, no matter how much stuff you would throw at them, they would still act poorly. What we would actually try to do is give them responsibility. We'd actually put them in some kind of commanding position. And I can tell you that from my experience, 100% of the time they step up. It's actually the best way to get someone who's misbehaving to strain up their act. You give them responsibility and they feel like they have to own up to it and have to grow into it. Works much better than trying to uh, discipline them. So it's kind of a weird sideways answer to your question, but I think how that comes across or how, how I did that is... I just decided that one day I want to be CEO and, and I think whether I'm ready or not, I just have to do it. And I just did it. I did the best I can. I made some mistakes. I try not to be too tough on myself, but I also, you know, was open-minded and listened. I think it's so important. And I think the general perception is that these visionary transcendent CEOs are just these ultra confident, you know, I'm sure they are in a lot of cases, but the majority of people who do have these doubts, who do have these concerns, who don't know if they can do it until they actually get a chance to do it. So I appreciate you sharing your story on that. Yeah, I think we all have it in us, right? To some extent, a lot of people in this world become parents and they lead a family, you know, and people think that that works that way, but it doesn't work with, with an organization. But it's it's not very different, right? People come, they work in a place, they want to work with someone who kind of knows what they're doing, but people are also very, people are forgiving. You know, people see you make mistakes and if you can own up to it and you and you correct it and you fix it, they'll follow you. You don't have to always be right 100% of the time. Yeah, that's a great point is showing some of that vulnerability, getting them to buy into that. But also, you talked about listening. Anything other practical tips you might be able to provide in terms of what you did to really get up to speed and to be a successful CEO? I, before I answer that question, I just would say, every time you say, you ask me and you say to be a successful CEO, right? a part of me deep inside says, whoa, uh, am I a successful CEO? So it just goes to show that I don't necessarily feel that way either, even though I've, I've managed this company for a while and I had an exit and by all means, this is a success. It just goes to show that I still don't feel that way necessarily. My number one tip by far would be just do it. Jump into the deep end and just do it. And I think my number two tip would be kind of similar to that. And that's basically you need to just be okay with, you know, being true to yourself and realizing that you don't necessarily know everything, but you know what you know, and you might not be great at everything, but every one of us has something that they can offer and whatever it is, you need to double down on that 
and surround yourself with people that can correct and kind of walk you through those those other issues. And I have a lot of things that I need to work on. And I, you know, I'm, for instance, I'll give you an example. And I think you kind of, for those of you listening, don't know that Darren knows me uh, for a couple of years now. You know, I'm not necessarily the calmest person ever. I tend to have somewhat of a temper. I don't think I am the textbook example of a chill tech CEO or great leader, but I have awareness of that. And I don't try to be someone that I'm not. I'm not Steve Jobs. I'll never be Steve Jobs. I'm not Simon Sinek. I love Simon Sinek videos and books, but I try to take away from that what I can, but I don't try to be that because I'll never be that. So I treat, I stay true to my personality. I explain that to the people that work with me. I, like I said earlier, double down on the things that I'm very strong at. And I have people kind of come in and help me with the things that I'm not as good at. And maybe I think a lot of people who go and try to start things and try to become leaders, they try to work on everything and say, I'm not necessarily a good public speaker, so I can't lead a team. No, you can be a leader that's not necessarily a good public speaker as long as you're good at other things. And the final thing, just to cap this long-winded answer with, is you have to go all in. And a mistake that I see a lot of times with entrepreneurs or people who are starting to try something new is they kind of try to do it in a safe way. So maybe they won't leave their job or they'll just do like a side gig or whatnot. And when you do that, you always have an out and you will tend to take that out when things get really tough. So when you do fail, like I told you earlier, I knew I was going to fail in some things. When you do fail and you have that ejection button right in front of you, you'll tend to press it. You actually interviewed someone who said something a little bit contradictory to that. So I'm going to go ahead and say that I don't agree with hedging your bets. Go all in. Believe in yourself. If you give yourself an easy way out to to not go forward with this, then you'll probably end up taking it because there's going to be some bumps in that road. When you don't have any other option, when you're hungry and when your next paycheck depends on you succeeding in this endeavor that you have, people tend to succeed a lot more than when they're just doing it as a side gig or whatnot. It's the whole concept of burn the ships, right? Yeah. While you're all in. You're all in. Jump into the deep end, right? You got to learn how to swim. That's the only way. Yeah, some great points. You talk about playing to your strengths, surrounding yourself by people that complement the things that you're not as strong at. Also, you talked about authenticity. So you described your own style of leadership and things that you're really strong at. I love the the go all in, just do it. But also something you said, and I'll say the word for you, which is humility. So you said, hey, I don't know if I'm a successful CEO. That's humility to know that there is additional things to learn and to grow and get better. And I think that's really important, really, of any leader is to show that humility. It'll just change the way people show up. They learn from other people and they're constantly trying to learn and grow and get better. Yeah. And I mean, it can come in many different forms. So the way I do it is I openly make fun of myself in front of my team members. It doesn't have to be necessarily, you know, something corny where I sit down and say, hey guys, a lot of times when you hear like people talk and they're inspiring you, they're like, oh, you got to have super humility and you have to be down to you know, I just make fun of myself and I make mistakes. When I'm overreacting in a meeting, I tell people, hey, you know how I am. I'm probably going to be a little bit aggressive and say things that I don't mean. So please don't listen to the next five minute rant. And they know it and they deal with me. But I think ultimately the outcome is that people who work with me know exactly what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. And there's a sense of A, humility, and B, they know where they're at any given moment. They, they know that, you know, it's not 
Jacob is all nice and everything was great in that meeting, but I still might get fired tomorrow. They know exactly where they stand with me. And me wearing my feelings on my sleeve is kind of uh, turned out to be a pretty positive thing. So just to go back in time a little bit, I, I think it's always interesting just to hear how people got into entrepreneurship. So what was that initial spark for you? I know you backed into it a little bit. You went about it not by coming up with a product and trying to find a, a fit for it, but actually addressing a customer pain point as it pertains to STEM. But what was that drive? What was the, the initial impetus to become an entrepreneur? Man, I don't know. I, I do not know. There's so many corny answers I can give to that, right? There's the cliche answer of uh, if you don't know why you want to be an entrepreneur, then you're not one. And, and we've heard all of them. Maybe I'll just attribute it to the fact that, you know, growing up, my dad could not work for other people. He could only work for himself. And he kind of instilled that philosophy in me. So maybe it's that. It's obviously, it's been an easier path for me. I heard some of the folks that you interviewed mentioned that like their parents were all about having stability and a career and don't take any risks. So I imagine for someone like that, it's a lot harder to make that decision. And for me, it wasn't. But again, Darren, you know me. I'm very opinionated. I like what I like. I don't do well being told what to do. So I think just by definition, I probably wouldn't do well in a corporate environment. But it's just what I was surrounded with. And, and I kind of walked in. And it's, it's also fair to mention that uh, when I came into Phoenix, I walked into a family business. So those are the cards that I was dealt and they were pretty good cards. And I, I took advantage of them. I think about this a lot. If, if my dad did not have a company that I could come and take over and then used to spin off to a different company, would I still do it? I'd like to believe so, but I, I don't know for sure. I know some people say, I, Hey, I just, I wouldn't be a good employee. You know, I wouldn't be good working for somebody. So I think that seems to be a lot of common thread about with entrepreneurs is just that independent streak. It's 100% the case with me. I feel like I'm a very high performer as long as I get the runway that I need and I don't do very well with performing mediocre, but without any runway. So I rather, it's for me, it's kind of all or nothing. Give me everything that I need to make my own decisions and I'll do great. I'll work long nights. I'll work for a little bit of money. I can do that very well. And, you know, by the way, keeps on reflecting back to my military service. But that's another thing I learned in the military. You know, the military is a very, very large organization. No matter how high up I went, which was not very high relative to the military, I was never really a decision maker. And that was a very difficult thing for me because there's a lot of things that the military does that I disagreed with the way they did it, but I didn't really have a say in it. And that was a very frustrating thing for me. So when I got out of the military, I knew one thing for sure, and that's that I don't want to work for a very, very large and cumbersome organization. I rather kind of have this blurry line between my personal life and my my work life, but at the same time, get those freedoms that you don't get when you work for big corporations. I want to go back to something you said earlier about just how you got into STEM audio and that you didn't just build a product. Because I think it's really important what you touched on is around listening to your customers and your clients and actually responding to those needs. Can you explain just how you went about that? What were those conversations like? And just what was really that impetus for that? So I told you the products that we had. And, and again, I, I think I was basically planning on just coming out with another one of those products. But I just wanted to make sure that I get some customer feedback. And then when I went, you know, I didn't just go talk to customers. I actually went 
and I went and did installations with them. I actually went out to the field and physically tried to do what they need to do. And I just got a lot of flack, a lot of anger from, and we all know this, you know, when you buy a new product and you install it, you know, whatever it is, a Nest thermostat, and it's supposed to be super easy, but you run into like a weird snag where the screw doesn't screw into your wall or something like that. And you're like, ah, I wish the person who created this knew that if they made this screw a little bit thinner, it would fit better. So I really got to experience that. And it was a real aha moment for me. And I wanted to write that because ultimately, I think the most important thing as a CEO for a hardware company is that at least I would be able to stand behind my products 100%. So, so that was the goal. I just ended up being really lucky that the things that I found out were much more than what I expected. I expected to get feedback on like what color it should be, what shape it should be, you know, put a screw here and not there. And what it ended up turning into was that there's this whole world of pain points. It was specifically six pain points that we came across that no other company in our field solves. And we were able to basically realize that and double down and then say, hey, if we can solve these six pain points, we got something huge happening here. But that was not the intention. It's very important for me to mention that. It was kind of like an opportunity that we were open to and we pounced on it. You didn't ask this question, we're going to answer it anyway. Now that I had an exit, I have a lot of business acquaintances and friends even that come to me and they want to start a company, right? They know that maybe I have some bandwidth, maybe I have some some funds, and they're like, I have this idea and let's do this. And the problem that I come across a lot with people who want to be maybe start something is that they want to start something, so they start with that fact and then they say, let's think about something that we should create. And I'm no expert, but what I've learned and what my opinion is, is that that doesn't work. You need to start with a pain point. You need to first find a pain point, and that should be your, your jumping off point. Not search for, let's, what can I do that, will, that I like? Well, I like to do this, so let's create this product that I'm not sure there's a pain point for it, and we'll just do it really well. In my opinion, that doesn't work. So again, I keep on saying that I was lucky. I was lucky in the sense that I just came across that at a time where I actually had the power and the resources to be able to create a solution for that. So it was almost like the perfect storm. So one other question I want to ask you, Jacob, is that, and they talk about every overnight success is really 10 years or some expression like that. And it seemed like from the outside that this process was really fast of from the time you had a, the STEM audio logo and are standing up that business to an exit to, from Sure. What were some of those challenges you faced during those couple of years that you were growing and scaling your company? First of all, before we before I launched STEM and had that great opportunity, you know, I was at Phoenix for over a decade. And I mean, that was an eternity of nothing happening. Years upon years of just uh, stagnation and and no matter what, you know, new thing we tried to launch or new initiative, we'd gain revenue in one product but lose revenue in another one it really felt like it would never happen. It's kind of this really weird experience that now I, I don't know how to explain it, but I was 100% convinced that I'll make it big one day and also at the same time 100 convinced that it's never going to happen. And I would listen to all of these podcasts. I would go to all these panels or people who succeeded and, and exited companies and they would all say the same thing. You know, I did this for 20 years. And only then had a success. But if you guys stick with it, it'll eventually happen. I was like, oh, my God, easy for you to say. But it ended up being the case. It was basically 15 years of felt like running in place. And then 
one year where everything just blew up. And I don't know what somebody can take away from that. It's just really weird to me. I still can't believe it happened to me either. So I'm sorry, I kind of lost what your question was, but I just want <laughs> Basically, I was just was asking you about some of the challenges that you faced along the way from fundraising to product issues, et cetera. Everything, everything, right? Everything from, from HR, from sketchy people coming to work for me and taking advantage of you and making false claims to launching products that you put a lot of effort at and think it's going to be the greatest thing and then nobody buys them to every pitfall that every business has. You have these external vendors, whether it's digital marketing or leads, they come to you and they tell you, oh, if you give us this amount of money, we'll blow you up. And you, everybody makes that mistake once and realizes that there's no magic pill out there and there's no company that will give them $10,000 and they'll give you a million qualified leads. It just doesn't exist. I apologize to anybody listening to this who does this for a living, but all of it, really all of it. And you just have to grind, right? And if you listen to uh, How I Built It by Guy Ross, like his favorite question that he asks in every single podcast is, how much of what of your success do you attribute to hard work and how much of it is luck? And everybody gives him the same answer. And that answer is absolutely 100% true. It is absolutely luck. But the hard work is how long you can stick around to wait till that luck hits. And, you know, when you're an entrepreneur and you're doing this, there's so many dark nights of not knowing. And I mean, I can only imagine what you're what you're going through writing a book, right? You're putting yourself out there and you're you're sending it out and you know you don't know. You don't know if people are gonna read it, if they're not. And one day you know, you become a New York Times number one seller and then everything in hindsight is 2020. But until then, you're in the dark and that's a very lonely place to be. So yeah, I experienced all of it for a very, very, very long time. And then one day it just exploded. Yeah, that's a great point. It does feel like a very lonely place to be. I've talked to so many friends and colleagues who have, it seemed like they just made it and had a fantastic exit or it always worked out well, but there were so many times where they were, maxed out credit cards and borrowed from friends and family, taking overnight trains to go to meetings, not having slept or showered. Just so many stories I've heard from people that all you see is the glam. You see the exit, you see the success, you see the billboards, but you don't see that hard work, those lonely nights, those dark moments as you described. Dark moments. And you know, at any age and at any level of experience, lack of a better word, begging people for money is not a fun experience. And I almost certainly had to do that when I was pitching, you know, of I pitched to VCs and literally had them like put me on mute. And like, I see them talking to their like family members while I'm still in the middle of my pitch. And I'm like, do I continue talking to nobody or, you know, it really hurts your ego. You go through some gnarly, gnarly, gnarly experiences and you just have to just keep going. I don't know what to tell you. It's, it sucks, <laughs> but it's the price, right? If it was easy, everybody would do it, right? If, if everybody would get an exit in six months and everybody would have exits, everybody would have startups, but the reality is that for some of us, it takes a couple of years. For some of us, it takes a couple of decades. But if you stick at it and you believe in it and you do it, your chances are better than the rest of us. So looking forward then, like what's next for STEM Audio now that you're acquired by Sure? That's a good question. Maybe we should ask Sure. <laughs> Look, uh, STEM Audio has a very aggressive goal. And STEM Audio's goal is to take over the world. That's my joke. I always say that. But our goal is to be everything in a conference room. And we have a long, long way to to achieve that. And you know, us being acquired by Sure was not just a, an opportunity for an exit. It was something that when we launched STEM, 
we knew that this had to be part of the roadmap because we knew that we needed a large company with great resources and the ability to open doors for us to, to put us in a place where we can offer a vast array of products for the conferencing space. And so it's fantastic that we have that now. And we have a, we just, our journey has just started. I hope to be part of that journey for as long as possible, but I can tell you that so far it's been a really, really cool and great experience. And it's been very exciting, right? One of the things you get a lot of excitement from having a startup company, and that's mostly how to make do, how to survive and how to thrive with very little resources. You know, now we're entering a new chapter of we have a lot of resources. How do we scale fast and efficiently with that? So now it's kind of like a kid that gets to play with much bigger toys. And that's new to me as well. So that's a very exciting thing for me. And it's very exciting for, for STEM. And I really, really hope to one day be able to walk into any office space and see our products there. Yeah, it's been a great success so far. And I look forward to tracking your success in the years ahead. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And maybe I want to just give one more plug to to you and to one of the things that we do on the side. I don't know if it's okay to do so, but I won't mention any names. But, you know, Darren heads my CEO forum, which I've been a part for many, many years now. And that has been such an important and huge resource for me, not necessarily because um, you learn something specific. And, and one of the guests that you had talked about his MBA, and he said that he didn't necessarily learn anything new from his MBA But if nothing else, what I get from that is you just hear other people who are in the same place as you going through the same problems in you, and that gives you strength to continue on. And we talked about how it's a very lonely place. So Darren, by the way, is a great leader for that group, for that team. And I think it takes a a certain kind of ability to be able to lead a group of leaders. But the, the main plug here is to folks that are listening, if they are entrepreneurs or thinking to do that, I highly recommend to be part of some kind of group where there's other people who are in the same space as them. And if nothing else, just to be able to vent and more importantly, to hear other people's problems, which kind of puts things in perspective and makes you realize that everybody's going through this and you're not alone and you're not the only person who's uh, who's walking down this path with all these obstacles. Yeah, no, thanks for the plug in. Absolutely. I recommend to anybody to join a peer group because it is lonely at the top and it's so helpful to get insight from other people who sit in that hot seat every single day like yourself. Yeah, it's also very grounding to realize that other people that manage companies are just as clueless as you are. We're all just kind of figuring it out as we go. Fake it till you make it, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Hey, so where can people go to find out more about STEM audio products or perhaps pick one up for their company in their conference rooms? Yeah, so number one place to go to is our website, www.stemaudio.com. That's S-T-E-M audio.com. You can also find information about us at Sure is S-H-U-R-E dot com. And we're active on all social media, whether it's LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, you name it, just search STEM audio and you shall find us. Great. Hey, thanks so much, Jacob, for coming on. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Darren. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Savage Leader Podcast. My hope is you are walking away with tactics that you can apply to become a better leader in your life and in your career. If you're looking for additional insight and tactics, be sure to check out my book titled The Savage Leader, 13 Principles to Become a Better Leader from the Inside Out. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and I would truly appreciate it if you would leave a review and also rate the podcast. Thanks and see you all in the next episode.